I mean, one is, well, it used to be, right? I mean, as you know, 20 years ago, right? You put like an article in HBR and, and right, you sort of had the starting point for a consulting practice, right? I think that's no longer true. I think there's so much content out there and every day people put out more and right, everybody starts a newsletter and everybody starts a podcast. So it's really hard to break through that. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau, the podcast for corporate refugees who want to do more of what they love and get paid what they're worth. I'm David Schreiner-Khan, your guide and community builder. Smashing the Plateau is more than just a podcast. We are a community of like-minded consultants who are committed to supporting one another on our business journey. Before we start, I'd like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. Struggling with achieving your business goals and navigating through challenges can be overwhelming, but here's a solution. Visit smashingtheplateau.com goals to book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me. This one-on-one session offers a unique opportunity for you to gain clarity on your business aspirations, identify roadblocks hindering your progress, and outline practical steps toward achieving your goals. It's personalized, focused, and designed to equip you with the insights to drive your business forward. This is a limited time offer, so seize the moment. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash goals. In today's episode, we're delighted to have Thomas Bertels, the president of PurposeWorks, with us. Thomas is not just an accomplished consultant, but also a published author whose latest book, Fixing Work, sheds light on how businesses can transform their work design to foster productivity and job satisfaction. Our conversation today will delve into the major challenges that thought leaders are facing in the contemporary landscape. Thomas will also share insights into the two successful models he sees emerging in consulting and discuss the importance of being client-focused and relationship-driven. Stay tuned as Thomas also gives us a brief overview of the work design framework he uses and emphasizes the importance of community in achieving personal and professional success. This episode is packed with actionable ideas and thought-provoking discussions. You won't want to miss it. Now let's welcome Thomas Bertels. Thomas is a management consultant and business transformation expert on a mission to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. He has more than 25 years of experience helping companies across a range of industries, from startups to Fortune 5, transform how work gets done. Thinkers360 has recognized Thomas as a top 50 thought leader on the future of work and design thinking. Before starting PurposeWorks in 2021, Thomas was a founding partner at Valiocon. Earlier in his career, he held leadership roles at Aon Consulting and ABB. Thomas has written several books and numerous articles on work design, process improvement, business transformation, and organizational learning. His latest book is Fixing Work, Designing Jobs Employees Love. He is also the host of the Work Matters podcast, where he explores in conversations with thought leaders and executives what leaders can do to fix work. Thomas, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a pleasure. So, Thomas, the last time you were here, we spoke a bit about what it means for work to be more fit for humans. And you just published a new book, as I mentioned in the introduction, Fixing Work, Designing Jobs Employees Love. 
what was your motivation to write your latest book? Yeah, that's uh, um, well, the two two things. One, right, this idea of work design, I think, has been bouncing around in my head right since two thousand four when I first got introduced um, to this framework, and I wanted to write something that I think enables managers and executives to see what that journey looks like, right? Both from the perspective of like what are the challenges and obstacles. But also, I think, what are the, the, the possibilities? What are the gains that are possible? And uh, I've been wanting to write a business fable for like a really long time, uh, going back to like 1998. So it was nice to be able to, you know, achieve both of those objectives uh, with, one, with one book. Yeah. So that actually was the next thing I was going to ask you, which is why a business fable? Yeah, I think if you look at most business books, uh, right, they have it's like this format that people explain a concept and oftentimes they say, and here are all the great companies that are right implementing this framework, whether it's robotic process automation or some strategy topic or whatever it might be. And, you know, here's all the great results that they achieved. And those are all well-known companies. And, you know, you know I think the idea is obviously to convey that right, this works right in the real world. What I find, though, having worked with many of those companies, that the reality is oftentimes very different. Right? Change is messy. Change is hard. It's never the entire organization that changes. It might be one department or one business unit at a time. And so I really wanted to create like a realistic picture of what that journey looks like and really... By paint that picture from the point of view of a manager that's really facing some some real obstacles that many of us face, right? Workload is, is uh, people are overworked, people are leaving, productivity is stagnating, the workload is steadily increasing. What do you do? And so again, in this story, right, the manager, the hero of the story, Jerry, figures out that, you know, if he fixes work, a lot of these problems go away. Yeah, and, and I can tell you that, you know, having uh, read a copy of your book, that this, the story about Jerry is very realistic. So you, you've done a great job at um, sort of creating this environment that I think anybody who has worked in an office will surely recognize. Yeah, I mean, it's like an amalgam of all the characters that one meets over 25 years, right? So it's loosely based on right, a lot of um, real people that I've met in workplaces and, and real situations. Yeah, can, can you share a little bit about the process of writing an allegory verse, because you've written other books and, um, you know, we've all read tons and tons of the business books that are more of the, the nature that you described earlier, where it's more like principles and case studies, as opposed to an allegory. What's it like to actually use this format to drive a point home? Yeah, it was quite honestly, it was a lot of fun, right? Because a normal business book, as you say, right, you start with an outline and you have all your post-it notes and you have right, all the different concepts that you want to uh, introduce, but they're all fairly discreet, right? You can run one chapter kind of like by itself, right? And some people write their business books, you know, take all their blog posts and, and kind of like edit them together. And this was a little different because I think we had upfront to decide kind of like, what's the setting that we want to pick, right? And we picked an insurance company, and then who are the characters that we want to introduce? So we started to create the characters. And then we, we, we had like the major steps in the journey, right? Because we know how work design uh, projects look like. And then we started writing. And we were kind of, like, you know, 70, 80 pages in when we realized that you really don't have a story if you don't have an antagonist, right? So we had to go back and introduce an antagonist. And it was really an organic piece because the, the other thing I think that, was, that made this interesting is 
that if you have a story, you have like different storylines going on, right? You have the, the struggles of the hero, right? But you also have like the real changes that are happening in the workplace. And so being able to weave all these different pieces together was a real interesting challenge. And uh, for example, like the last third of the book, I think myself, my co-author, probably finished like in four or five days, right? Because you're just in the flow, you, you weave all these pieces together. So it's a very different experience than writing a normal business book. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Is it different writing an allegory with a co-author versus writing regular kind of business book with a co-author? Um, not really, actually, at least in the way that I've done it, right? And I've written my, my first book uh, with a co-author. I think this idea of passing it back and forth I think is really helpful because you write and at some point you just hit a wall and you can't get any further. And so it's helpful to be able to pass that on and say, hey, David, right, can you pick it up and, and write the next chapter? The other piece is quite frankly, and, and I know that uh, you're big on this, it creates accountability, right? You have an accountability partner. You got to produce something. You can't sit on this book for like four weeks and wait for inspiration, right? Then you got to right, pass the baton to somebody else. Yeah, there's nothing quite like telling somebody else that you're going to deliver something at a certain date, right? If you tell yourself that, it's really easy to push the date off. But if you tell somebody else, it's way harder. Thomas, what's your dream for the impact that you want your book to make? I mean, my dream would be that a lot of managers in right, office environments read the book and feel inspired to get on the bus and, and, and start the journey. I think we, I hope that we laid out, I think, a real practical, straightforward path that doesn't right, require people to right, tear everything down, but it's really a redesign of the work right, that, that we want to uh, inspire people to. And I hope it inspires them to take the, right, their employees and the organization along for the ride and not just right, sketch out a new way of working in the privacy of their office, but really do it together with the people that are impacted by this to build a real sustainable solution. And what's the connection between the book and what you do in your business? I mean, the book describes like the work that we would be doing, right, in, in supporting managers. So I think, again, I, I think it shows people what's possible. And I think it hopefully also shows them where they might want help, right, especially as you go through that the first time. And so obviously we'd be happy to help people along the journey. Right. And many people write business books primarily for marketing purposes, right? For their, for their business. And some people write books because it's a way to increase the impact and it may or may not have such a direct effect on the, the business of the author. I'm curious to know sort of what your thought was going into this. My thought was that I think it's a real, it provides, I think, access to, a broader audience, right? You can be in might more places, right? You can expand your reach. Nobody gets rich in a business book, right? I think that's what everybody knows that. Maybe one or two people, right? But not the other um, half a million people that put out a book. Uh, and yes, I think there are marketing purposes, right? I think it helps people, I think, to understand. Um, now, let me take that back. I think the, the broad objective is tell the story, get a lot of people to try it. Some people might want help. Happy to help there. But I think right, there's also plenty of folks that I think can take the lessons from the book and quite frankly do it themselves. Can you share a little bit about the actual process of creating the book? Like 
how much of it is the creative process, honing your message and crafting it and getting the content together and getting the content out versus other aspects of getting a book published, which is administrative, operational, marketing, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, writing the book, right? I think that's a relatively straightforward process, right? You start with an outline, you start writing, then you go back, eventually you edit it. In my experience, that's probably a third of the journey, right? And the other two thirds are getting ready for launching the book, which, you know, right? build up your mailing list, go on podcasts, right? Write articles about it. Right, do book signings, do all these things involved with like, you know, preparing for and, and really executing the launch of the book. And that's quite frankly a lot of work that I think a lot of authors probably don't appreciate until they get to that point. And the reality is I think these days, right, publishers do very little to right, really market books. Um, it's like a venture capital approach, right? They sign up a hundred authors and right, 80 of them, right, are not gonna sell a whole lot of books. Some are going to sell some moderate amounts and then one or two people can like pay for everything else. Yeah. Um, have you seen that whole process shift over the time that you've written books? Absolutely. I mean, my first book I wrote in 1993 and there was no self-publishing, right? The publisher would reach out to you and say, hey, right, would you write a book or you could submit a proposal? And I think that was probably still true until maybe 10 years ago. And then, you know, Amazon, right, was, was their Kindle Direct Publishing and uh, it was probably one of the, the big game changers. And now there are all these hybrid publishers, right, self-publishers. And you can get a lot of help, right? I think there's a lot of people that, that offer to uh, yeah, help you edit the book, uh, market the book, uh, get publicity for the book. Some people even offer you help to right, buy the book and get it on a bestseller list, right? So I think... It's become uh, it's like a very fragmented process. But I think it also made it very easy for people to put you know, some thought leadership out there. Yeah. Uh, so given the fact that, that the whole publishing industry has changed so much, and, and frankly, a lot of the way thought leaders interact with their audience has changed so dramatically over the last, particularly the last decade, what do you see as some of the major challenges to being a thought leader today? I mean, one is, right, it used to be, right? I mean, as you know, 20 years ago, right? You put like an article in HBR and, and right, you sort of had the starting point for a consulting practice, right? I think that's no longer true. I think there's so much content out there and every day people put out more and right, everybody starts a newsletter and everybody starts a podcast. So it's really hard to break through that. And I think a few people are really good at that, right? So I think that's, that's a real challenge, I think, to rise above the noise. The other element is that I think it's like raised the bar. I think our intention spans have gone down, right? So I think what used to be like a, a book is now an article. What used to be an article is now a blog post. But what used to be a blog post is now a, right, a tweet. And I think it forces people to be really precise and, and distinct in their message. Mm. And what do you see consultants doing those consultants that have created really robust, financially successful businesses? Because there, there are a lot of different kinds of consultants. I suspect that the trend for self-employment in what could broadly be described as consulting has increased quite a bit in recent years. And yes, there is a lot of noise out there in terms of um, 
sharing content. But in the actual business itself, what do you see successful consultants doing that others are not doing? I think there are two models that I see emerge, right? So one is people that are able to productize what they do, right? So they create maybe right, an online training course that people can right, buy for $2.99, right? But there's like a standard product, right? They create a lead funnel, right? They put the ads out there and, and you know, they work that funnel. And I think on the other extreme, I think you have people that are very client-focused and really looking to help the clients with their specific problem rather than right, selling right, the solution that they have. And I think, again, right, the people that I see being very successful there are like folks that are like hyper-organized right, and really have like a process for reaching out to clients, staying top of mind, and you know, being being just like right, enmeshed in their clients' organizations or in their clients' challenges, so that they are the first ones that come to mind. Right? So people that position themselves as trusted advisors. So I think I see those two models kind of like emerging, and I think the people right, that get stuck in the middle that becomes very hard, right? If you're not right, very relationship client focused and you don't really have a strong product, I think it's hard to stand out. Thomas, if you were starting your consulting business now what would you do differently than, than you've done over your years as a consultant? I think one, I think probably invest more time into the thought leadership piece and be consistent there. I think connected to that is I think stays like within a, like a really clear frame. Right? For a part of my consulting uh, work, I was in a firm where quite frankly, it's like every project was a good project. Right? It was equally weighed. So write a $50,000 project for something that you've done for the last 10 years a million times at the same value than a project that actually right, created a new service offering or developed a new client. So I, I learned, I think, the hard way that I think you, you got to be focused. You got to define it's like you're square where you're competent. You got to stay fresh in that context and, and right, rebuild like your skill sets and, and, and be relevant every day and you got to be laser like focused on clients and client relationships and client needs it's never really about you right it's always about them yes have you become more narrowly focused in recent years yeah yeah i have i think i, I really like this 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 frame of work design that's still a big frame right there's a there's a lot there um, but i'm not trying to get involved in right, all the other things that that people right want help with, right? Leadership development, yeah, I could probably do a little bit there, but that's not right, my core, right? And I purposely chose that field because that's where I got the most satisfaction doing the work, right? I always enjoyed working with a group of people, identifying right, some crazy work processes and help them figure out a better way of doing it, right? So it's going like to leave it better than you found it, um, that's what I found really, really appealing. And doing it with the people who do it, right? So I, I really like that like co-design, collaborative flavor of consulting that really resonates well with me. So so I think that's that's one thing I realized over the years, right? If you just do it for the money, it, it's going to lead you down the wrong path, right? You got to really, I think, find the work that I think allows you to feel the most satisfaction. And then you're going to be financially successful anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's very client-focused and very relationship-driven. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there some basic principles 
the building blocks and the steps of the work design framework that you use? Well, there are a couple, right? So for example, one framework that I use, um, it's like a, like a capacity analysis, right? So let's take a look at all the work that's being done in a particular organization. And once you start to list out all these different processes and activities and reports and so forth, I always find that eye-opening when leaders look at that and say, oh my God, I had no idea, right? And then you start looking at how much time gets consumed by each of these activities. And then you find that, you know, what the core mission of the department or the function is, right? There's only 20% of the work, right? The other 80% is all these other reports and meetings and mechanisms that we created to manage the work. Um, so I think that's, that's I think, a big eye-opener for, for a lot of leaders to then start looking at what really drives value. I think the other pieces are really, what I really love about the work design framework is that it has a clear design principles, right? Give somebody a job where they can do the whole thing from start to finish, to the extent that that's possible. Give people a job where the customer connection is really clear, right? Ideally, you're directly connected right, with the customer so you can get feedback. Um, so I, I like those, those elements. I think they're very practical. They're, you know, I think easy for people to get their head around. And so it, it gives you like a lens through which you can look at right, the work getting done. And, and then you can start to see opportunities. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, last question I have is about community. And I wondered if you could share how your interaction with community helps you do your best work as a consultant in the area that you specialize in. Yeah, I think where community, quite frankly, helps a lot is all it was with all the activities and tasks and, and processes that support you, right, from a work perspective. It might be as simple as, right, uh, what do I need to do to be, right, organized effectively, to be tax efficient, right? What are some ways that, right, I can use new technologies like, right, AI in my work. It provides, I think, the accountability mechanisms that, that I think help solopreneurs, right, really get things done, right? Because as you said, it's so easy to say, well, you know, I said I want to finish this today, but I didn't tell anybody else, right? So I can, I can, uh, I can maybe postpone that until next week. Um, so I think it helps with those topics. And again, I think right, a lot of the problems that people run into, a lot of challenges, they're not unique to them. And it's just nice to be able to tap into a group of people and say, hey, I'm trying to start a newsletter, right? Who here has done it? What's the right technology? How do you stay motivated? And, and you know, learn from others. Because if you're trying to cover everything yourself, Right. You're not going to be able to focus on your, right, getting your core area of expertise applied right, to real client problems. You're going to spend all your time filing your taxes and trying to figure out right, what's the right technology platform for ABCD. So in that sense, I see the community really as a way to yeah, just tap into the, the, the wisdom of, of the crowd and of people right, who've solved this problem probably five times over. Um, so that's what I love about it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Thomas. Um, congratulations again on publishing your latest book, Fixing Work. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything that we've discussed today, get a copy of your book or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, I think for the book, they can go to the book website, which is www.fixing-work.com to learn more about my work. Probably the best way to look is our homepage, which is www.purpose.com dot works 
and you know, right there, people can get links to the podcast and the newsletter and, and you know, articles and so forth. Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and uh, share a little bit about your latest book and and your what you've been doing in your consulting work. My guest today has been the president of PurposeWorks, Thomas Bertels. Thank you, Thomas, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me again on your show, David. Remember, being an entrepreneur doesn't mean going it alone. Our community is here to support you, inspire you, and walk with you on your journey. Don't forget to visit smashingtheplateau.com slash goals and book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me, David schreiner Khan. It's an opportunity to gain clarity, identify obstacles, and create a solid action plan toward achieving your business aspirations. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash goals. Join us next time for more wisdom from industry leaders. Until then, keep striving, keep believing, and keep smashing.